Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is uh, Gesundheit with Jacobus. My name is Jacobus Holloway, and I'm your host. And uh, we do this every Sunday morning from 7 till 10. We talk about health, healing, and healthy lifestyles with the experts. We give them a chance to chat about their profession, what makes them so successful, and what makes them so passionate about their profession. I'd like to remind you, as always, that when things are being mentioned on this program, you should never see them as a cure or a final answer from anything that you're dealing with at this point. We are here to inform and educate and hopefully entertain you. And um, we suggest that if there is any issues, please go see a physician of your choice and uh, read more about it. When you go to the library, go to the internet, talk to some other people. Just look at it as an education. Talking today about intimacy and uh, the many aspects of intimacy. And we're doing that with Donna Wallace in the studio, who will be talking a lot more to us in the last two hours. And uh, But she is co-writing a book with uh, my other guest on the phone, which is uh, Dr. Bob Paul. And uh, Dr. Bob Paul is the president of the Smalley Marriage Institute, and he's the director, primary innovator, and creator of the highly acclaimed intensive programs. And uh, he'll be on with us um, uh, just only this next 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes, uh, because he has to take off. But it, he kind of sets the tone for us today about what we're going to talk about. If you want to know more about what the Smalley Institute is doing, by all means, visit their website. It is at uh, www.smalleymarriage.com. And Smalley is S-M-A-L-L-E-Y marriage.com smallymarriage.com uh bob it is very nice to have you with us we were talking about trust mm -hmm. and and trust is indeed something that i can visualize uh you know you want to trust somebody that's why many people i take it go to counselors because they they don't have anybody else to trust maybe and they feel safe in that environment so i think trust creates safety uh, for them to become themselves and to express be, to, to express yourself. But h how do you see trust? I mean, how does trust work with you in in your own life or with the people that you work with? Well, I think the thing that, that opened the door for me to be able to um, uh, take my relationship to another area and probably the most foundational thing was when I started working in this area, I started realizing that my wife was not feeling safe with me nor I with her for that matter, but I mean, really, I was aware that she was feeling very wounded and uh, um, and closed up to me in, in a very profound way, uh, and I wanted that to be different. I began to really get that she was feeling unsafe and that she did not trust me, so one of the first things that I wanted to do was focus on being trustworthy mm -hmm. and made that the most important thing. I realized that her well-being was of critical importance to me, and I had not focused on some of the details of that so i stopped asking her to trust me and instead just started trying to be trustworthy that was the first part the second part was a little surprising to me and probably the most powerful part of the whole deal was that i realized that also uh, to feel safe that i had to learn how to trust myself that i had to recognize who i was and that i had to be able to know that I would not sell myself down the river, that I would not treat myself poorly or allow myself to be treated in a way that was not, that was not going to support really who I am and, and take care of me, and that I couldn't feel safe in any relationship if I didn't trust myself, mm -hmm. because then my whole well-being is dependent upon how well they treat me, and if they don't treat me well or consider my interests or my needs, nobody is. Mm -hmm. And when you get those two things working together 
when I am both focused on being trustworthy to other people and trustworthy to myself, and I'm in relationship with people who are working on being trustworthy to me and trustworthy to themselves, then you create a very, very safe relationship. Right. And, it's, and people open up in that setting, and amazing things happen in the way of intimacy. I guess trust, uh, getting trust from somebody also means you have to spend time with them. Um, well, yeah, I think that, that it's going to be hard for them. Well, if they're going to open their, if they're going to want to be opening their deepest, um, most private, personal places to you, um, they need to have an, an experience of you being someone that it, that, it's, that it feels good to do that with, that it feels safe to do that with. Mm. So, yeah, it's very hard to do that if, if you don't spend time with them. Mm. Bob, when you're talking about being trustworthy and, um, and, and having trust in yourself and having that other person trust you, I love the word picture that you share with your clients about um, when you were when you were cleaning house with that gentleman and and you worked with that figurine, I'm wondering if you could tell us about that because um, because of this misconception about um, intimacy and sex, I think that that really does give us a great um, word picture to address that particular issue. Um, yeah, sure, I can do that. The um, when I talk about being trustworthy, whether it be to yourself or to the other person. It's really based upon a real recognition of the value of each person. Yeah. And I don't think that a lot of times people um, think in those terms, recognizing that when I'm wanting to be uh, trustworthy to Jenny, that it, it's, it's dependent upon me getting the incredible worth and value and the vulnerability that she has. And it's the same thing with me, that there's a part of me, um, no matter what junk is, is, is on the surface, that down in my core, my essence is something that is of infinite worth and value, and like a priceless, priceless work of art, is able to be uh, damaged and devalued very easily. And I had a situation when I was 18 where I was working. Uh, wasn't that I was there cleaning house so much? But uh, oh, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm I was, sorry, I got the story mixed up. <laughs> that's okay. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> but, uh, well, um, that's how I wrote it. <laughs> the, uh, Oops, back to the editor. <laughs> I was uh, I was actually working as this guy's handyman at his house. He's an eccentric uh, psychiatrist, art collector, and so forth. And there was a day when I was asked to help him clean out the living room so that some carpet cleaners could come in. And um, I grabbed this little clay figurine and started walking out of the room. And you know, somehow, um, uh, as I was walking out of the living room into the next room, I must have swayed a little bit because I bumped the toe of the clay figurine on the door jam. And the leg broke off and hit the ground. And I'm 18 years old and absolutely horrified. I have no idea what this means. But when I called him over, he looked at this clay figurine and went crazy. I mean, screaming and yelling and waving his hands and yelling at me, do you have any idea how much that thing is worth? And, of course, I, at that point, go into a total panic. And I could, couldn't tell you my name at that moment if you <laughs> asked me. And uh, um, I said, no. And he says, it's, it's thousands of years old. And it's worth thousands of dollars. And then he reaches down and he grabs the leg and he says, you know, one of the things that made this, this clay figurine so valuable is that it was in perfect, flawless condition. He says, I can have this thing, this leg uh, glued back on, but now just by virtue of the fact that there'll be a crack where it was broken, is going to devalue it by thousands of dollars. Oh, boy. Now, and it was, it was horrifying. So um, we went about, um, the, the point of the story is this, really. Uh, every one of us has a part of us that is just like that clay figurine. 
uh, of infinite worth and value, like a priceless work of art, and very easily damaged and devalued. We are trustworthy when we get it, and we treat each other accordingly, as if we get it. When we look at ourselves that way, when we look at the other person that way, and we are careful recognizing the privilege, the sacred honor that we have to be interacting with that part of another human being, we become trustworthy. And Bob, I think that that is what your clients really do experience as soon as they go into an intensive with you is that um, they they can sense right away that you hold them in that type of uh, you value. You value them that way. And, um, and so they don't have to feel defensive in any way that they have to somehow um, convince you of their worth or their value, that they can just come and, uh, and, and be free to, to be with you because you value them. And I, I experienced that even as your collaborator. Well, I mean, I, I feel it is, a, like I said, a very sacred honor to be allowed to um, have access to those deep places. And a person is very private and um, very precious, and I take it very seriously. And I know that when people are working with me, that they're they're struggling, they're afraid, they're hurting, and uh, um, I want to make darn sure that if if I'm uh, given that uh, invitation, that I take it seriously, and that they know that I will do everything in my power to do nothing but honor that and care for that, and help them really achieve what they are wanting most in life. It's like they open their safe with you. And they they show you something very private, and uh, and then knowing that you will put it back in the safe and and forget the combination. Well, and I want to cherish it. I want to cherish it when I see it, and and let them know. Matter of fact, sometimes I get I get a greater sense of how valuable it is than they have, mm-hmm. and it's sort of yeah. a lot of times me helping them to see what really it is, and helping them see that in 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 their partner also, and uh, um, it's a, it's really special when people get that. Um, uh, the 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 type of, of of opening and freeing and joy that comes from that, um, the connection that comes from that is pretty pretty powerful. I remember one particular instance with this story where um, the this beautiful young woman stands up and she's trying to win back the favor of her husband and she tells you, Bob, I would stand naked and you know in front of a crowd of people if I it meant that I could have my husband back and. Um, and you just looked her in the eye and said, that horrifies me. <laughs> and she was so taken aback by that. Yeah, I was very, I mean, the, the thought of, of her doing that to herself, you know, uh, um, humiliating herself in that way, just because of her love just horrified me. I, I, I love the fact that she loved him that much and wanted him that much, but, but my, but I never want to see people feel as if they have to choose between me and you. You know, right. it, it, it's it's a both and proposition for me, not an either or. I mean, and, I I think also on top of that, uh, Bob, if I can quickly interrupt, uh, sure. Um, the, um, the pretty much the baseline is you cannot change anybody else, and 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 often in relationships we try to force the issue mm-hmm. upon our partners or spouses. And, and they have already made up their mind. Now, I understand in your, when, when you work with couples, there are couples who have already, they're already going through divorces. Uh, it's almost finalized and they're still decided to make a last ditch effort to save the marriage, which in a way speaks very highly of their, 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 their faith and that things are still possible. But, uh, at the same time, um, um, I think that, um, how do I say it? It's, uh, it's really hard 
I think to 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 try to change somebody, to have your opinion about somebody. This is what I really want. I really want that person to like me too. If that person is not willing to do so, um, yeah, it's. I think that it's that that uh, we would. I would say we usually have a pretty good number of people who aren't um, either wanting or believing that it could be any different. They're wanting out of their relationship because right. the relationship is miserable for them. Right. And uh, we really only ask them one question before we work with them. Um, if if God was to work a miracle in your marriage, and the miracle could be the magnitude of the parting of the Red Sea, for all we care, uh-huh. if God was to work that miracle, um, would you would you receive it? Would you be open to it? And the key when when we really get them is when we define miracle for them. For us, the only measure of success in a marriage is having two people thrilled with their marriage. Anything short of that is nowhere, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not interested in helping right. people endure misery or even mediocrity, for that matter. It's thrilled or nothing. And when people think, hmm, thrilled, you know, <laughs> I've never really thought about thrilled before. I, you know, never even, you know, if it's been years since my wedding day that I even considered that possible. Huh. And, uh, um, and I say, that's what we're looking for. And when, you know, and then if you're just even open to the possibility of that, we feel pretty confident that we can, um, in most cases, help you get a taste of what that would look like and how to get there. And Bob, too, you don't, uh, tagging on to what Jacobus said, you, you don't take the approach of addressing the marriage first or changing the other person. Where do you start? Um, this is a little bit startling for a lot of the people we work with, but, um, I'll ask them, I'll say, you know, you know what my passion is, you know what my life's work is about, which is helping to restore and rebuild the promise of a great marriage. Um, uh, and with that said, uh, the uh, the one one position that, that we take very strongly is that the well-being of the individual will always take precedence over the well-being of the marriage. In other words, we will never support anything that causes anybody to be hurt, devalued, or lost um, so that the marriage can survive. Right. It's and uh, um, and in spite and with that as our foundation, we're probably as effective in working with with people who are in crisis or who've given up as anybody in the industry. And uh, it seems to me to be a foundation, and it's where most people are thinking that you know that their obligation for a variety of reasons is to save the marriage at all costs. And mm. I never see it that way. One thing that I want to ask you, Bob. Indeed, the bottom line is the value of the individual. The individual, first of all, is the most important thing. The marriage is second. Do I understand that right? Um, I would say, yeah, that the well-being of the individual has got to take precedence. Uh, um, it's yeah, it's absolutely essential for. And really, if you look at it just logically, for both people to be thrilled with their marriages, they've got to be taken care of. They've got to, their well-being, their needs, their their desires have to be attended to. And unless both people have that happening, how are they, how are both people going to be thrilled with their marriage? Yeah, and but but I think that first of all it comes down that people ha- start to have self esteem. Uh, they need that. Yeah. Um, the question for me a lot of times is what they what they base their esteem upon. A lot of times people are basing it on things that are very temporary, very temporal, like maybe looks or something like that. You know, or 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 stuff. You know, I've got you know, he who has the most toys wins, kind of thing, um, or what they've done, and they and all of those things are very, very um, shaky to have your esteem built on. It's less about who you really are and the opportunity that you have to to do, you know, to have a life that feels meaningful mm-hmm. and that makes a difference in in the world. 
Mm-hmm. Um, those are much more, or, or the, you know, your, your capacity and willingness to care about others. Um, those are the things that tend to be uh, much more solid. Um, and unfortunately, people are attempting to have a kind of a self-esteem that, like I said, is very shaky and feels very fragile and easily lost. And it, it, it creates a tougher dynamic. But self-esteem, when you've got a real solid sense of who you are and your place in the world, can make a tremendous difference in how well you can do relationships. The um, the undertone from your intensive, my understanding is reading part of your website, is that it is definitely uh, spiritual in nature, uh, non-denominational, but definitely working with uh, with a higher power, uh, with God. Um, and and is that indeed an important part in, in helping to build uh, relationships of people with themselves, and uh, first of all, and then with others? It's it's a very important part. Um, you know, our our emphasis is from a Christian focus. You know, we're happy to work with other people of different um, you know different different belief systems, but but we are very very clearly coming from a Christian perspective. Um, and and the underlying part of that is that I'm I'm completely convinced that there that there um, that we all have a spiritual part of us, mm-hmm. and um, and that we are greatly served when we are able to see that there's something beyond us mm-hmm. and uh I'm not it's not essential for me to have to define that for people um even though I have my own clear sense of of what that is but uh, I'm more interested in people getting a real clear sense that there's something beyond them there's a greater sense of purpose there's a greater there's a greater meaning to their being um and that when we can connect to that part of ourselves and I think we can all when we're really open to it are able to find the the that 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 place in us where that exists and where our recognition of that is and that it helps us in our relationships because i mean there are times when jenny and i are caught in something and if we're limited by what she can see and what i can see you know oftentimes we're just not smart enough creative enough um uh, faithful enough to be able to get beyond um our own stuck places and our own short-sightedness but when we're able to access uh, a greater force a greater understanding, a greater love and compassion than we possess in in and of ourselves, the ability to successfully and effectively move beyond the stuck place uh, just grows dramatically. Mm. Caller, good morning to you. Thanks for hanging in there. Uh, Your name, please, and how can we help you? Well, this is a dork. I'm one of those Uh. dorks who have never gotten married, and I've never had anything against marriage, but I see a theme that might be able to solve. I say... Well, I'm not into chasing women, but I think she's saying, and I, I think the uh, the opposite sex is saying, if he likes me, he will continue to chase me. Mm. Now, how do we connect if, if we're in two different what what today they're calling two different stories? Um, uh, you know, um, I would I would want to look at that maybe even just a little bit differently, um, and maybe instead of looking at it in terms of chasing. Because um, I know that there's unfortunately for many of us when if when we're in those those years of dating or or trying to you know find a person to connect with that uh, um, it can feel real gamey. But if you can look at it from the perspective of wanting to 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 share uh, possibly your life with someone, possibly look at someone to journey with through life, that it's it's more about just getting to know, wanting to you know find people that I can that I can I can get to know and see if there's somebody that would want to go on the journey with me yeah. and unless you take the time to to uh investigate you know to 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 look at somebody or talk to somebody and say hey let me let me get to know you a little bit better and 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 see if you're interested in me and see what this feels like and see where we can go with this 
It's kind of, it's, it's really connecting. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to finish this off, I sometimes have the attractions, and then going to the friendship is one thing. Then women want this emotional intimacy, and I would appreciate sexual intimacy before we finally made the connection. I think there's stages. Women sometimes want to jump right into emotional intimacy, and I want to jump right into sexual intimacy, and we're we're on two different pages. Well, I'm going to go. Thank uh, you. I appreciate your comment. I think that the the thing that many guys don't realize, and and this is kind of unfortunate, um, that uh, um, the 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 sexual intimacy is a very vulnerable, very intimate place. And if if people don't feel safe, which means that they really get that there's a commitment, that there is a caring about each other's hearts and well-being, um, it's hard to 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 see how you can really safely enter into the sexual intimacy and have those other things be taken care of so yes for t- for the, the typical woman they need to know that their hearts will be cared for and that the person is interested in and in, in connecting emotionally otherwise you know sex is just sort of a uh, it's a physical act and you, we're almost pretending as if our heart and our spirit are not involved in the act and uh um and i know you know whereas guys are able to compartmentalize better than women are typically um uh, it's it's very hard for for the average woman to get excited about that in a, in any kind of way, let alone in an ongoing way. It's interesting, Bob. I know we're coming really close to the end of the hour, but I want to ask you a question, and I don't know if you can answer this one right away. It seems like uh, there are more and more affairs and uh, out extramarital relationships, mm-hmm. and uh, it seems that people are so quickly into jumping this, and what Daniel mentioned uh, on the phone call, that that is what he is looking for in the, sometimes, and then maybe the emotional later. Um, but it seems that it is so easy for people to jump on those kind of uh, sexual flings, but then they're upset when the other person that they started this fling with all of a sudden jumps with somebody else in bed, and and they go like, how can they do that? They cheated on me, and they've been cheating themselves. It, it seems very, uh, it seems very easy to get into the sexual part, and at the same time, it seems so uh, such an emotional uh, hot topic um, where we feel our self esteem is being hurt because of what the other partner does. You know, um, we probably deal with uh, uh, infidelity as much as anything that we deal with we see it all over the place and we we take kind of a different position on this than than most people typically hear um, i look at the at at having an affair as um, more of a symptom than anything else uh... it's typically a symptom of of needs that are not being met or attended to in the individual and oftentimes they really aren't sexual oftentimes they are more emotional or or uh... Um, of the intimate, of the um, uh, spiritual or emotional intimacy type nature, and people don't realize that. Like for guys, typically, and and now even more today for gals. Bob, uh, Bob, I'm sorry, I I hate to cut you off, but we're okay. just running out of time. I thank you so much for being here, and and we'll give out your 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 email or your website as we come back with Donna. Thank you so much for being here, and we hope to talk to you again soon. I will look forward to it. Thank okay. you. Okay. Bye bye, folks. We'll be right back. Intimacy is a topic that uh, that will bring a few laughs, and but at the same time, it is so interesting and so important and so missing mm-hmm. within a lot of people's personal life uh, lives, and that what they share with others. 
And I think a lot of us have lost how to do it. We don't understand the word. We think it has to do with just sexual intimacy. It's not sexual relationships. It's not the same thing. It's part of it. Uh, as I said goodbye to, uh, to Bob Paul, uh, he said that intimacy, sex is not intimacy, but it is a way to express intimacy. And intimacy, uh, it, it, sex is therefore very vulnerable too for a lot of people because it is only very temporarily. It is not something that lasts a long time, for most of us at least. But it is it is all the gaps between the sex that we need to fill up with other intimacy and, and that starts first of all with feeling good about ourselves. So let's talk today, uh, second in these next two hours, with Donna Wallace, and let me read you a little bit about her, and then she would like to read a passage from a book, and uh, to get us kind of in the mood where where we want to be. Donna Wallace lives right here in Bozeman with her husband and two children. She was a professor. She was professor of sociology in Southern California. She has a master's degree in theological studies, specializing in the area of intimacy with self, God, and others from Vanguard University in Southern California. Donna is also a licensed minister of education and works with people in the areas of intimacy and identity development. As founder of Mirror Images, Inc., she is an author and collaborator. A collaborator writes a book with and for someone, often another author. Donna's specialty is getting into an author's heart and pulling out their voice, their deepest passions, and the part of the story that, haven't, that they haven't yet told. In spite of the fact that she has written 14 or 15 books in the last four years, she reads about 120 books per year. Her favorite ones are those portraying a person's real-life story. Donna Wallace is also a public speaker and spiritual guide, caring for the whole person, body, soul, spirit, and relationships. All her productivity and good work have earned her several awards and memberships. And if you want to talk to Donna, uh, you can do that by email. And you can go to Donna at mirrorimages.org. Mirror is M-E-R-E, mirrorimages.org. Thanks for being here, Donna. Thank you. It's great to be back. Because you have been now several times in the studio. We've That's talked right. with Dr. Ray Strand because you have written with him right. about uh, books that he has published, uh, three books with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, usually when uh, those people are on, you don't get much talking time. <laughs> That's right. So I, when, when you and I met and uh, were talking about uh, setting up another show with Ray, uh, I said, w w what exactly is your background? And you started talking about it and said, you know, we've never done a program about this. And I think right. it is really misunderstood. I mean, if you can do lectures for four or five hours right. and work with people that much, it must have more to it than just the sex part. Yes. And you yourself said, Jacobus, it's not just sex. That's right. Because I guess you were looking at my eyes lighting up. <laughs> He's going, oh, we get to spend three hours talking about sex and did lingerie. She, did she spike the coffee? You know? <laughs> so anyway, it is, it is very nice to have you with us. And, and I, I really want to invite everybody to, to please have pen paper ready because I have a feeling this is not going to be, we're not going to get all this done in two hours. I don't think so. No. So we might have to come back and, and explain even more about it. But if this is such a great topic and such a needed topic and I know we're going to talk about some very very interesting parts that we just didn't understand uh, most of myself and and most of us we have a feeling about what is right and it doesn't always come out and it is there is feelings that we have that we like to express with the partner 
or with a spouse and somehow when push comes to shove we're just not able to and why is that part mm -hmm. of it is like we talked about in the first hour it is a safety issue it is a trust issue and i think donna that as people are looking for help and trying to find themselves mm -hmm. more and more people are going to counselors and psychotherapists mm -hmm. and psychologists and and uh, because those people fulfill that role of trust we, right. we figure that they know they must know they have they have trained for it studied for it mm -hmm. and so they will be able to help us to be open be honest learn how to be honest learn how to express ourselves so we can go out in the world and do the same thing with other people i would say right 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 but i think often we are learning a formula perhaps maybe an equation um components that are i think very very important but perhaps what we still are missing is the being part i mean even uh it was very subtle that you have said we don't know how to do intimacy mm -hmm. and i would say we don't know how to be intimate mm -hmm. and um and so there there are the behavior aspects um what what can we do um people want to know what can I do we want five simple steps um, of what we can do and I think that first we need to go to who am I and <clears throat> that's why I often end up I, I started working with intimacy and realized that I needed to back up and really work with identity mm -hmm. first because identity of the self of the self okay um, who am I before I can connect with another person how did you do that did you happen to go to somebody who could teach you to show you that? I, yes, I did. Uh -huh. uh, much of that came through my studies. I worked with um, some incredible mentor professors in uh, sociology um, through my, my graduate thesis project um, in finding the self and mm -hmm. self-esteem. Self-esteem is a, a wonderful word, but um, finding our purpose, our meaning in life, and what it is that that makes us fully alive. Um, one, one of the authors that I wrote with recently, his name is Bill Ewing, um, also a close friend of Ray Strand's, Dr. Ray Strand. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love how he presents this, um, this, this abstract idea that we're trying to get a handle on. And he says, uh, in the Greek, they have two words for life. We only have one, but they have two. And uh, the first being bios. And that is our... our physical life mm -hmm. and um and i think this so applies to the whole um issue of sex and intimacy but um uh, rachel N naomi remen who wrote um kitchen table wisdom and my grandfather's blessings wonderful author she writes about how um a newborn infant has such tenacity for life that if you were to put your finger in their mouth this, their suck would be so strong that you could lift that baby up off the table. Wow. Uh, that it's this drive to live. Uh -huh. And um, I think that that is fascinating in, fascinating in our um, concern for health, and that's why I appreciate appreciate so much what you do but uh the other side the other meaning of life i think is the one that goes unidentified and unnoticed and that is zoe life um that's the second greek meaning for life and that is that um tenacity to live not in the physical but in our our spirit it's um what it is that um drives us forward what keeps us alive and uh, i think that uh, Jewel, uh, the musician, writes mm. about mm -hmm. being stuck on survive when you wake up and you're making love to the wall 
um, trying to bail yourself out with a straw kind of thing. Um, we just, we get stuck on survive. We're kind of comatose in life often. We're just trying to get through another day, another month, um, rather than f- being fully alive. And uh, that's one of my favorite uh, topics, and it works itself into every book that I write um, with another author. It's, yeah. it's kind of the my trait that comes through is that, do you want to live? And what does that mean? How can I be fully alive um, with both Bios and Zoe life? And I think that that's when we're discovering who the self is. Before we can go into being intimate, we have to ask those questions. What makes me fully alive? And how do you fit into that paradigm with me? Hmm. I recognize it in myself to, that I'm, when I get up in the morning, I cannot lay in bed very long because my mind starts working about everything I need to do that day. Mm-hmm. And so it is my drive to get out of bed and just get going. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I realize that it doesn't allow me to really get in touch with myself first right? and to start the day from a certain center point Mm -hmm. it seems like i'm always chasing this goal and Mm -hmm. i'm not really doing it from the right uh starting point place right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and i think that if we don't have that time to reflect and to anticipate perhaps to uh, meditate if you will uh, we we miss it we wake up and five years have gone by or the, the children are grown or you know, I, uh, I hope that we don't live life with regret mm-hmm. and, uh, it's, it's bound to happen because we're, we're broken and the world is a difficult, messy place. But I think that if we can stop and, um, and consider what it is that we're doing and why it is that we're doing, we begin to discover who we are. And I think sometimes busyness, uh, keeps us from that place on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I certainly have been a workaholic. I laugh um, about you know, why is a person a specialist in intimacy? Uh, chances, good chances are she's had some intimacy issues herself. I see. Interesting. And uh, I definitely have had troubles avoiding intimacy. I've had troubles with feeling invisible, um, feeling that I, I crammed on relationships, addictive mm-hmm. to relationships. Um, mm-hmm trying to to work to avoid um, difficult situations at home or uh, I mean being a workaholic is much much easier than dealing with uh, because that becomes your safe place sure sure it gives you meaning yes you get a lot of strokes from your co-workers and and from your accomplishments Uh Um, sometimes that feels a lot more comfortable easier yes yeah, I realize that. I know you wanted to read something. Sure. Yeah, you want to go ahead and do that so that we have our, that we kind of set the tone with uh, about some of the things you would like to share with us today. Yes, I love Henry Nowen. He has taught me so much about life and and intimacy in particular. He does have a book um, titled Intimacy. He's now passed away and uh, but has left his mark on the world, his, his legacy. Um, this is titled On the Possibility and Desirability of Love. He says here, the question is not, what should I do if I find myself in deep love with another stranger in the world, but rather, can this love ever be a reality at all? Many are asking themselves if we are doomed to remain strangers to each other. Is there a spark of misunderstanding in, in every intimate encounter, a painful experience of separateness in every attempt to unite, a fearful resistance in every act of surrender? Is there a fatal component of hate in the center of everything we call love? We probably have wondered in our many lonesome moments if there is one corner in this competitive, demanding world where it is safe to be relaxed, 
to expose ourselves to someone else and to give unconditionally. It might be very small and hidden, but if this corner exists, it calls for a search through the complexities of our human relationships in order to find it. Mm. That is by Henry Nouwen. Um well, that's that's really true. In a way, it has a uh, it, it expresses what we're talking about, especially talking about the uh, the the old, if you can call them almost distractions. Why mm-hmm. we cannot be intimate, uh, intimate, a spark of misunderstanding in every intimate encounter, a mm-hmm. painful experience of separateness, in every attempt to unite, a fearful resistance, in every act of surrender. Is there a fatal component of hate in the center of everything we call love? Uh, it seems almost like uh, um, you cannot have one without the other. I mean, opposites mm-hmm. attract somehow. Yes. And uh, so to be completely intimate is, for a lot of people, um, uh, it could be indeed just a moment. It mm-hmm. could be a moment of minutes. And then mm-hmm. it's almost like your, your thoughts are wandering off again. That's right. And then uh, and that's why I understand that, uh, that, that a sexual intimate relationship is maybe sometimes a physical expression of those few minutes or that half hour that you have right. together. Right. And I'm afraid, too, that sometimes that is a, it's a false intimacy. Um, it's something that stands in for intimacy because it feels like it. Um, it feels like we connected um, and, and then we can walk away clean. It's, it feels safe, um, such as the caller who called in. I, I think that, um, that we, we don't want to be sucked in. Um, he, he, he said, I, I don't want to be caught in this vacuum of emotional need uh, there's this clinging that's going to happen um, with a woman, and I, I don't want to have to go through that. I just want to connect with her and then be on my way. And so I think that we do need to look at both of those those sides of intimacy, that um, when there are some good boundaries, there's some good d- definitions of what intimacy can be with ourself and with others, that we then don't have to be avoiding and fighting back that that thing that's going to suck us in mm-hmm. and cling to us um, when we don't want it. That mm-hmm. um, true intimacy is uh, something that we, that both people truly desire to have. Interesting, and if it's yeah. not that, yeah. we haven't found it yet. Right. And so I think for a lot of people to get into the sexual act first and then try to build a relationship is going to be extremely hard. It really is the wrong way. I think it's backwards. It is backwards. I, I think it's backwards. And, and yet we've turned to that because... There's been such disappointment or uh, feeling stuck in something that is so undesirable. I think we've seen parents um, and in terrible relationships, and we say, we don't want that. We don't want all that pain, all that disappointment. So we're going to do something that's safer, that's quicker, that we don't have to deal with all of that. And yet uh, we really are um, going down the wrong path. It's, I think it's a reaction to what we've seen rather than the answer. It, it seems that, um, let's see how I can express this. Um, when in this day and age, we like to look back at the 50s mm-hmm. and say, oh, those were the great days. Yeah. You know, that was when we had strong family ties, when it seemed like everything was balanced and harmony and, and everything was just fine. And, but then when we talk about these good old days, when you go back, either to other Western cultures, go back to the Roman Empire. Mm. I mean, it was very normal to not have one person that you were intimate with. Mm -hmm. There was a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, In in Europe today, there are still 
Uh, I was talking to my wife yesterday, and she said too, you know, when you look in France, it's it's normal to almost have like a concubine or to mm-hmm. have a, a lady on the side for mm-hmm. a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, if it is the other way around, it's so-called not right, but guys mm-hmm. can have more women. We have the whole polygamy mm-hmm. that we've had in this country that, that was definitely a, a part that we're still talking about. It seems uh, that people have extramarital refer- affairs. Uh, somehow, what are the good old days we're talking about? Boy, that's, that is a really good question. Um, because somehow maybe there is a desire in all of us that it would be different, that it would be, that it would be a perfect world. Sure. But we have we really had one? I, I think I, in, a, in our Christian history, I believe that there was a Garden of Eden that uh, it's, whether you think of it as story or metaphor or ancient text, that, that there was this ideal um, place, environment of perfect intimacy with um, one another, with themselves and with God um, and their, their choices. We make choices and choices, uh, we, we were given um, the freedom to choose and our choices uh, make our, will set us up for our choices in the day that follows and the day that follows after that. And um, I do feel like there is, there is a very strong sex drive. I'm not going to um, deny that, especially for men. And I would say uh, it, it's not just in our contemporary society. I think it's very difficult in our contemporary society because we're bombarded daily with sexual images and stimulation. Um, but I don't think that it's impossible. I mean, there's... Uh, especially when we can see what our needs are and and what it is that we're trying to connect with and why those those desires are there mm-hmm. um, i i think hmm, about about promiscuity through human history uh, i would have to say that often it there there's so many reasons for um, sexual relationships. There's, there can be power. It can be control. It can be uh, political negotiations. Um, I, I mean, there's all these different reasons that it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go back to just the pure topic of love and what that means, um, loyalty and um, just finding deep contentment um, in life and in another individual um, without the the tryst, without all that the uh, we, we somehow learned that um, it's more exciting to be dangerous. You know, there's a danger involved. Um, but I think that uh, there's, there is a human element of brokenness there. Mm-hmm. And um, all of this makes me think of um, a, a mental image that I think is really powerful. And that is um, if you were to take um, an heirloom piece of china that you have sitting up on the top shelf, and you love this heirloom. It's very meaningful to you. It's, it's beautiful. It has intricate design. You love to take it down. Uh, say it's a teacup. And it's just got this beautiful um, antique design. Maybe a gold rim. Mm-hmm. It could be the finest china. And you very gently take it down. You put a warm liquid in it. You lift it up to your lips and you, you drink. And you take in that warmth. You, you love it. And you tenderly care for it and then set it back up on the shelf you have enjoyed all of that but it is an object Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. anything that you set back up on the shelf is an object and we do this with human relationships Mm -hmm. but the bottom line is we are not objects Mm -hmm. we are not teacups we're not treasures we're we are 
living, breathing um, images of God. Um, if you, my, my organization is called Mere Images. We are made in the image of God. We are that valuable, um, profoundly uh, valuable um, life givers, mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. creative and um, vulnerable. Um, we're never, never an object. I know that uh, we're coming closer to a break over here in the, stu- in the, in the show, but uh, we were talking before the program, and I want to get back with that, mm-hmm. uh, on that uh, in the next section, about the relationship that we need to have with God or mm-hmm. with a higher being, mm-hmm. because it is so important if we don't have that, we are looking for satisfaction and trust and intimacy with, uh, with people that are just uh, on the same level as we are, mm-hmm. with our own faults, with our own mistakes. Um, and it becomes very hard, therefore, to find that justification, the trust, the, the, the warmth, mm-hmm. the intimacy that we're really looking for. Because right. we do not always get the unconditional love right. from our peers as we get from somebody in a vertical relationship. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about that more. So stay tuned. We've got another exciting hour and a half to go. We'll be right back. The, there are several things, of course, we, a lot of things we want to talk about. Right. I, I kind of want to jump back on where we left off sure. at the end of the last half hour. And that is indeed, first of all, that inner relationship that we need to have. Mm-hmm. And and y- you describe it as a spiritual relationship, a spirit, mm-hmm. a spirit, the soul and the spirit, uh, the, 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 the mental body, emotional body. You have your own way of describing it. And, and is this something that you have... That is your approach today, or was it also your approach just this way when you were teaching as a professor in California? Has your views have your views changed as far as the connection with the spirit uh, from then or uh, to to now or not? I would say that it has has not. You, you understand the question? I do. I think okay. I bel- I do understand. Uh, if I mean, and if I, I go on the wrong direction, you can. Well, I'm just saying me. that you learn as you go. I mean, we all Absolutely. learn as we go. And maybe you have taught about intimacy the way most people think about intimacy today, which is uh, you know having a good connection with somebody, etc. Mm-hmm. But there is more to intimacy that first of all starts with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that was something you were teaching then, or if that was th- that is something that you have learned and experienced in your own life now and that is why you're preaching or teaching that today actually it's a little bit backwards i i did have some amazing um teaching i think right at the start Mm -hmm. um i was because i was in southern california i was just put right in the midst of some of the world's leading people in these topics Mm -hmm. and so i feel very blessed that uh, I did have those opportunities. So the I, the concept of intimacy with self, God, and others really did come early. In fact, when I was working on those kinds of things, uh, you just did not hear the terms intimacy much. Uh, it was only about 15 years ago, but people just weren't talking about it. Now you can find titles and, and programs and different things on intimacy. But uh, at that point, there just really wasn't much going on. And when I would try to talk with people about writing intimacy or passion, uh, it was it was kind of a hands-off, like, ooh, just don't really want to go there much, um, especially in the more um, collegiate levels of things. Um, but I was finding just a little bit of research. Uh, there's an intimacy of play. Um, 
of well, there's several different types of intimacies, and and I would like to come back to those later yeah. um, because it is fascinating uh, the different types of intimacy. I I think sometimes we think we either have it or we don't, but um, we can share different intimacies with different people, and uh, different needs can be met through all those things. But really, it just means that there is a deep connection um, being made there, a, a deep, real, authentic connection. Um, so of course, there's so many different angles to it, but. I do find that starting with self, God, and others, um, it we do get the the horizontal and the vertical connection that we had talked about earlier, mm-hmm. just just barely. Um, I thought at first, coming from a Christian background, that we would need to start with a vertical relationship first. Okay. That we couldn't really know ourselves if we are truly created um, in the image in as the reflection of the master creator, mm-hmm. uh, which I I do hold that position. That we would need to know who that who that being was before we can know who ourselves who we ourselves are. And I do believe that is true. But um, I found that first I needed to find out who I was. Um, and, and I was humbled by putting self before God, you know, who am I to put myself before God? But I found that until I could really just stop long enough to listen and to look inside and see what that was, what the need was, I really didn't even know what it was that I might want from God or from others. Mm -hmm. And, um, what I found was that there's just this, this universal loneliness, that we all have, I think if you pull away the curtains and the dramas and all the other things of life that we get so caught up in, um, our, our jobs, our images, uh, the things that we are striving for, I think that if you pull all that away, you will find um, a universal need to know and to be known is mm-hmm. the way that I put that. Mm-hmm. And I think until we go there and really take a look at what that is, we don't even really know what we need from another person or from a higher being. Right. And what I found was um, a place that was broken. And um, I think that maybe it's it's not, um, I can't peg it on a parent or any particular abuse as a child or abandonment or any of those things. I think we, we have little bits of that through our past because we, we do come from the mess of um, human relationship. But um, I think that it, Again, it's just part of our human nature that we have this place that's that's kind of empty and kind of achy, and we all will put shove something in there. Um, and I like to. This is where I come to the the knowing God part um, in the love chapter. Many many people are familiar with the First Corinthians thirteen, the love chapter. Love is pure and good, and, and it endures all. Mm-hmm. And um, at the end of that chapter, it says, um, and someday we will know as we are already known. And that particular passage really meant so much to me because I thought, even in this muck of human relationship, in my, in my misunderstandings and disappointments and all those things, I can rest, um, like Bob Paul mentioned, our guest earlier, that um, when we are in that stuck place and we don't know exactly how to get through it, we don't know how to forgive well enough, that we can just rest knowing that we are already known mm-hmm. by this higher power. And, mm-hmm. um, and that was very comforting to me at that time, to know that I was already known. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that really did uh, launch me on this journey to, 
to know and to be known. And um, I, that, that word in the ancient language is interesting because it goes all the way back to the beginning of the story in Genesis where um, a husband and wife knew to know a spouse meant to have sexual intercourse, a very, very intimate knowing. And so to say that I am known and I will someday know, it means that I, I'm not, I'm not invisible. I'm not entirely alone. I'm not entirely misunderstood that there exactly. is this unconditional love out there. It right. really, truly does exist, right. a lasting love. Right. I see that. Uh, so pretty much you are, somebody already knows who you are. Right. So accept it. And, right. And if you want to find out exactly who you are, what that, what, what the other personal power knows about you, mm -hmm. uh, you can start digging and find right. out what you exactly. really are and use that resource in your uh, self-esteem and right. in your setting your goals for the rest of your life and right. meeting the people that you want. Right. Yeah, that you want to be connected with. And that's really the, the search for truth, the uh -huh. truth of who we are and what this is all about so that it's not this meaningless existence where we're all just striving to get more stuff or, or to look better or to live a few years longer, that there really is purpose and meaning. And so it really did start with self and then um, in knowing God, finding out what is this unconditional love and what does that mean for me. Um, in, and uh, I found that there's another scripture that says, be still and know that I am God. And I think that being still is another component. You, you uh, referred to this earlier, that uh, we have this crazy, hectic life. Mm -hmm. And if we do just jump into our day with our to-do list and just start hacking down that to-do list, that we often forget to be still. Mm -hmm. And to know ourselves and to know what this life is all about, how to connect mm -hmm. um, and and what our needs are that need to be met in that day, yeah. um, what that uh, Zoe life needs for today. Yes. So I think stillness is a very important component of being well and, and being whole. Mm -hmm. And then um, with others, we we really do need to start with ourself and, and God so that we then have something to offer to others. Otherwise, um, in the words of Henry and he says, if we don't know this embrace, this embrace of being loved and accepted and known, then we turn to another person who um, is also searching and striving and trying to figure things out, and we're turning to them saying, okay, now define me. Tell me who I am. Um, I need I need you and you need me, right? And if they say, well, no, I, I really don't, then we're devastated because we don't understand why they don't need us like we need them. Yeah. And we're trying to keep the give and take uh, equal. Uh, we, we talk about the exchange theory and the, the give and take needing to be equal, but often our giving is actually a taking or, or we don't want to accept a gift because then we feel then, well, then I'm going to owe you something right. tomorrow. Yeah. Um, a girl doesn't want to go on a date and and have a gentleman pay her way because she's going to have to give him favors later on. Yes. It's very hard to accept gifts sometimes. And it's because of this give and take. Whereas um, I think really the idea is to live a life of shared existence mm -hmm. where we're sharing life in community. It's uh, where I can say, I, I want to be with you. Even if I don't need you, I, I want to be with you because I want to share life. And that truly is the beauty of intimacy is, mm -hmm. is sharing in companionship. And I think that that's, uh, 
that truly is the desire um, of all of us. And we do live in a, with nuclear families when we're so um, mobile. Um, we're having companies that, you know, we've poured our lives into these, these companies and then they're um, taken over by another company and we're downsized or this or that and we're moved and, and jostled around. Uh, we live very disconnected lives. And then you have technology. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're sending emails. We're doing, what is it, speed dating. Uh, we're just doing all these different things that are really... Hooking up. Hooking up. Just uh, that are, are really alienating us even further, I think. And it feels like a quick fix. Mm. And uh, I think that when we look down, and uh, often people don't want to look into that that place in themselves um, to see what those needs are. But I think that often people will cram sex like they'll cram um, drugs or alcohol or any other thing. And, and you can cram relationship in there too yeah. um, if, if you're not um, known by yourself and God first. But then you can, if you, you start there, you can move toward others and offer them an embrace freely and rather than looking at them suspiciously or questioning their motive or um, clinging to them, you can love them freely and then step away. It's interesting that uh, the one of the quotes that is said in the Bible is, thou, thou shalt stand naked before God, mm-hmm. in a way that indicates that no matter what we think we have accomplished, yeah. You know, we really have accomplished something that that is not shown mm-hmm. on the outer, but it is on the inner. Mm-hmm. And so, the way that we have used what planet Earth had to offer to us, and how we have made it part of our lives, and have have become better people because of it, that is eventually the most important thing that mm-hmm. we that we learn in this school that we walk right exactly. now. I mean, this is like a school that we're in. Yep. Sadly enough, it seems that our identity in this world, in this Western world specifically, is very much defined by the haves and the Mm have-nots. Even though, so people have moved away from the fact that we actually all have, Mm -hmm. we really all have, Mm -hmm. you know, we have moved to having means material possessions. And so our identity and our, uh, again, the word self-esteem and the trust in ourselves Mm -hmm. Um, and therefore feeling comfortable enough to to be intimate with other people Mm -hmm. is determined by the fact that is that person richer than I am? Does that person have a more important job than I have? Not realizing that that person is just another person who will stand naked before God. That's right. And it is, we, 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 we have lost that touch. We see, therefore, people move around in certain circles because mm-hmm. that's where they feel that identity is. That is right. exactly what you say, uh, you know, that is that horizontal relationship instead of that up in, that vertical relationship. Right. Um, I think that we have, there is a balance in this country. I mean, don't get me wrong. There mm-hmm. is a lot of, there is a lot of talk about uh, economy and about the haves and the have-nots. But then there's also a lot of people who are very spiritual and very, mm-hmm. very religious, and, and they feel that that is a base, a stronghold that is important for them in their life and their relationship with other people. Mm-hmm. But I see that uh, that the media is so much into 
yeah. trying to make you to to create an identity for you if you drive this kind of car if you wear this kind of watch if you wear right. these kind of clothes if you hang out with so and so then your whole value goes up if you don't have that your whole <laughs> yeah. value goes down and so it is very hard for people actually the people in the top if you call them that way mm-hmm. are often just as lonely Oh, absolutely. As the people on the way bottom. Absolutely. And how can we bring these people together? That is, right. uh, it, it, it would be fantastic if we could eventually do that. Oh, absolutely. And and that's, again, why I, I've named my company Mirror Images. It's uh, mirror being ref- a play on words. The mirror, we're a mirror reflection. We're a reflection of the face of God. But M-E-R-E, we're merely images. Mm-hmm. So when when we're merely images, it, it says that we have this incredible value. But I can I can love uh, a maid just as easily as I can the president of a corp um, because I can see the image yeah, in, you can in do them. that, but can the president of the corp and like you just as right. much? Right. And you know what's what's fascinating is that when we are safe enough in ourselves, when we can trust ourselves well enough that we can embrace the president like we do the maid, they they are often overwhelmed by by the comfort level there because they're they're accustomed to be treated to being treated like uh, like the president like the suit um and it, it gets very tiresome if you talk to anyone on a celebrity status they they get very lonely and so for someone who can cross that barrier for them it's astounding for them so they're often much more open than you would think. Now it's it's very difficult. I think this is one of those reasons why why uh, Christ in the New Testament, you know, said to the rich man, "Can you sell everything and follow me?" Meaning, can love can love stand sovereign over all of your possessions? It's mm-hmm. that nakedness thing again. Mm-hmm. And I I was um, thinking as you're talking about standing naked before God that if you go back to the Genesis story. It's fascinating to find that in just a few short chapters, uh, the text says like five times that they were naked mm-hmm. and unashamed. Mm-hmm. So to have that many times, it was like, it was good. It was very good. All these things were very good. And they were naked and they weren't ashamed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that truly is our design. Mm-hmm. Our design is to be able to be that open and not ashamed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yet we we have all these strategies uh, to keep ourselves uh, it's a shield. A shield, absolutely. Everything, our clothes become a shield. Right. And so you have an emotional shield. Right. And you have, and, and, and in a way, rightfully so, you cannot mm-hmm. trust everybody. Right. I mean, we all are right. individuals, obviously. Right. There's you a lot of crime. And, and, yeah, exactly. But in a way, clothes and everything yeah. else is really a shield. Uh, uh, a certain house, a certain mm-hmm. status, a yeah. certain job uh, becomes a shield. I, yeah. I always say that... Uh, it's interesting. I mean, if you can't trust a doctor, who can you trust? Yeah. And and you always see doctors are portrayed on a picture with a white coat and with a stethoscope around <laughs> the neck. And it is like, you know, only because I wear this, you can trust me. And, uh, right. you know, instead of the person, uh, you know, just being there, standing there, yeah. well, this is who I am. Right. Uh, you know, uh, well, I just happen to be a doctor. You know, mm-hmm. people have this image. You know, I mean, you mentioned Bob. Paul, who was yeah. on earlier, you say when he works with people, he just walks in with the jeans and a t-shirt and mm-hmm. takes his shoes off and uh, puts his feet on the on a chair and just yeah. hangs with the people. Yeah. And and it, in order for him to to show people, you know, it's okay. You know, I'm just I'm just one of you guys. You know, just don't don't look at me like this yeah. person. Yes, I will teach you. I will help you. I will educate you. Uh, but I'm just a regular guy. He often will sit on the floor below a person 
mm-hmm. actually putting himself lower than another person. It's, it's a, an astounding sociological phenomenon that happens um, for the specialist to be in lower proximity yeah. than the client. Yeah. Fascinating. It is fascinating. Stay tuned. Gesundheit with Jacobus is the program. We will be right back. Thanks for being a Donna. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm kind of nice that I finally hear your voice. I mean, I, I I've heard your voice, but I mean, the people can actually hear your voice because you've been here before with other guests that you have collaborated with, and then you really don't have a chance to uh, to say what you want to say. And you have a lot of depth to you and a lot of experience and yeah. and. Um, um, you know, learned through experience and uh, have become a person who, in my opinion, can definitely help other people in writing their story. You understand what it takes to crawl into somebody's spirit and, yeah. and skin and say, you know, let's let's get to it. You know, talk to me about what you really want to talk about and we'll put it on paper. And uh, I think I think a lot of people are a little uh, apprehensive about going there. Uh-huh. And I do wait for the invitation. But uh, once that's given, I do work diligently to pull in some of those those more intimate places and bring that to the page mm-hmm. uh so it all it all does work together yeah it's an artist it is yeah because my my sister does portraits and she mm-hmm. actually goes to the people and gets to know them so right. that she gets a better understanding about them sure. and uh she's able to express that in the paintings uh, yeah. people who get the painting back say there is something about the painting mm. that i really feel what i'm connecting with and uh it's added that the painting is following them mm-hmm. throughout the room it seems like mm. wherever they move the painting is watching them and uh, it's very it's interesting yeah 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 so and i do very much paint portraits but with words yeah exactly so it's nice to have you with us now we're talking uh, at the end of the last hour donna about uh, the role that some people play we're talking about a doctor if you Mm -hmm. cannot trust your doctor who can you trust and um, i think indeed that the images that people have created of themselves uh, the way that they they do that with certain uniforms they wear mm-hmm. um, with the offices that they that, that they are housing themselves in that are, mm-hmm. that are working from uh, the waiting room secretaries the expensive paintings or mm-hmm. everything expensive to give people this image like I know what I'm doing mm-hmm. um, one thing that you expressed to me is um, clergyman Mm -hmm. since we're talking about the connection with god and with the self um clergymen take a very important role have taken that throughout the ages Mm -hmm. um and they still do today where people feel this sense of safety this Mm -hmm. person knows more about who we can become Mm -hmm. and and they go there but you have made some interesting discoveries yes, in that. Yes. Well, I would start with saying that um, a clergyman has taken such a vital role in society because not only have they take on, taken on a pastoral role, which is a caring servant heart role, mm-hmm. uh, but they, they've been counselors. They often um, sit with people through their darkest hours, mm-hmm. um, through grief and through illness. Yes. Uh, they have been there. But also they have been with them um, in their most intimate spiritual experiences. And uh, I think that we often don't realize the depth and the intimacy of um, our spiritual lives. And uh, for many, we, uh, we mistake we we mistake religion um, for spirituality, and I think there are two very very different uh, 
topics. Mm-hmm. One is um, perhaps a ritual that you would go through. It's uh, one of the things that I love to do is study why a person worships the way they do. Yes. Uh, we, we choose different styles of worship, and I think it, it stems from our identity as people. And it does also uh, form our identity, but um, it's uh, it can be a ritual that we go through. But our spiritual self is one that is, uh, I think, closer to us than our breath. If you think of your spirit, that really truly is the essence of who you are. Mm-hmm. And so if you hear uh, a term such as spiritual abuse, I think that it can be the most um, devastating abuse that a person can experience, and which is why um, when you see abuse by a clergyman, it's such a, a devastating experience because this person often stands, stands as a representative of God. Yeah. So here you have a human person who is fulfilling a role as a representative of God to his people, in compassion, sometimes um, in power. Um, that's when it gets sad, is when there's more power than there is compassion. Um, but often they will lose their human element, um, even to themselves, uh, because they feel like they do have to be a person of the cloth above all else. And uh, it's this specific group of people that I have primarily worked with in my professional uh, counseling. And I I just kind of stumbled into that. My mentor professor, Dr. Phil Robinette um, in Southern California, um, is on the presbytery um, of a huge organization. So he would be the one who counsels uh, the very big, highly respected clergy people of the world. And so he he does have uh, sworn confidentiality. He never would have to appear in court. Um, as a witness or anything wow. like that. Um, and so what we did is uh, we did seven years of research uh, on on the clergy and their spouses, intimacy issues with the clergy and their their spouses. And so that really did lay the foundation of, of where I would go. And so I have done quite a bit of work with um, intimacy issues with the clergy. And, and that's something, that's a topic that people really find fascinating because it is a, it's a secretive life often. Uh, we uh, don't know the sins of the clergy often. Um, we don't want to to acknowledge that they are perhaps just as human as we are. And um, so, yes. Did I answer your question? Did I go all the way out and around and through and not answer the question? Uh, well, I, I, I think what we wanted to talk about... <laughs> You lay it down for me, Jacobus. Boy, well, did I ever I, go around. No, no, no. I mean, uh, we're, we're definitely talking about clergymen, but um, uh, you were talking to me before the program about the fact that you saw that clergymen often have them, themselves. Right. Since they're talking so much to other people. Okay, right. And are so open about right. it. That intimacy in their own life has become a big issue. That's, that's correct. And we were talking about how... Um, I think anyone in the helping professions, not just clergy people, but um, uh, doctors and therapists, are often daily um, bombarded with, confronted with human brokenness and pain. And uh, they uh, are called upon day after day to respond to the pain of others and um, that they're very, they become very comfortable in that role, in caring and tending to their people, in, in, um, terms of the the clergy to their flock, if you will, um, but often to a fault, not tending to their their own needs as a 
as a person, mm-hmm. um, having to take this place. Um, and really, a lot of it has to do with this um, representative of God to the people. So um, having a difficult time stepping back out of that role, just being human again, and saying, I really have some troubles. Um, and one of one of the things that we often find in people in helping professions are uh, are false intimacies or intimacy addictions um, with pornography. We were talking a little bit about that, um, that there are people, because they care so much for human beings, um, they, they can't take advantage of another person with skin on, but they will have an outlet, a secret outlet with pornography because it's, it seems to be a safe um, outlet, but um, not realizing the terrible damage that it can do. Because then, a, uh, say a wife of a, a porn addict, uh, she has no one to to even really blame. Like she can't say Susie was the reason she she seduced my husband, and and now I can be angry at her too. She's what she's angry at a page. Oh. Uh, and and it's often a very confusing addiction to work a person through um, and, and sometimes takes great care and a lot of time to try to undo those addictions um, because they're, they're just, uh, it's so elusive, I would say. But uh, I would say much of the the pain of the addiction, any sexual addiction, is the secrecy. We had talked just a little bit about that mm-hmm. um, before the show, mm-hmm. that um, the prison that we often get locked into is, again, that alienation. The, the very thing that we thought might uh, be the, the, the drug to treating the addiction actually becomes the addiction itself. It's the loneliness, it's the secrecy. And we find that in any type of addiction that it actually alienates us even further. Yeah. Um, because we're not hitting the core of the problem. Right. No. We're, we're just replacing one with the other. Right. You know, but so now, now we don't offend somebody else, but now we become dependent on something, right. on, on a product or a, a movie or pages, whatever yeah. it is. It is, it is like we, we have this continuous desire to really connect with ourselves, mm-hmm. to find a part of ourselves, to say, you know, I want to be, I want to be by myself, mm-hmm. or sometimes they're thrown at themselves. They mm-hmm. there's no, they have no connection with other people, right? You know, and it is very hard, therefore, to uh, there is still this desire to feel the warmth mm-hmm. and to feel that connection somehow and with ourselves or with another right. person, and that's when people might go into porn. Right. And but at the same time, we have talked, you know, we see that there are people who are in a seemingly very healthy of a very from the outside looks like it's a great relationship mm-hmm. i mean two beautiful people right. uh, seem like they're both successful uh, it seems they're happy they they they, they can afford what they want to afford right. and and still there is this there is this dependency on on porn right. and then you go is this something that happened uh, in this life in in this in this adult life mm-hmm. or is this something that is all usually a hurt that goes back to when they were a lot younger. And often it is. Uh, there's a, a very important time during uh, puberty when, um, when and, and this is just one theory, but of, of uh, d- identity development, but that when we're younger children, we have our scripts are being written. We call it a script. And there's no sexual meaning um, ascribed to that yet. 
but um, things that we see, images um, that we hear often will be drawn to someone who looks similar to a parent or to a brother or, or to a f- something in our past. We, we are attracted to what is familiar. We talk about um, opposites attract, but often we'll find that there are, are deep similarities that pull us in those places. But um, these scripts are being written, and then all of a sudden during puberty, um, there's meaning given to that. And um, so often it's not so much the the occurrence of what's happening that takes place, but the meaning that is given to whatever the situation was. Um, often it's a guilt that a, a parent has put on a child in a certain um, circumstance or something that is much more damaging than the actual situation yeah. that, that was there. And I have worked with several porn addicts um, through my work, and um, they have said, you know, if only I wouldn't have seen porn when I was 12 huh. or 13, 14, uh-huh. um, that maybe if I would have seen porn at 16, it wouldn't have the stronghold that it does over me. Because then there was, it was such a formative time. And, uh, and that is a deep concern to me uh, when we were talking earlier about identity development and clothes and things and looks that uh, I, I'm deeply saddened for our kids, um, our young kids, junior high and high school, where their identities are being so developed right then around these shows and, and the things that are happening at school and, and their, their worth, I guess, is the thing that concerns me most. If I just wish that I could just hold them and look look them in the eye and say, if only you knew your worth yeah. aside from all of this. Because whether she's beautiful or, or not, um, thin or not, um, they're getting the wrong the wrong definition of their worth. And um, so it, it carries over into um, the, the addictions as well. I think an important thing for... Um for adults Mm -hmm. to do i mean even with parents and children but let's say in a relationship where you find there is an imbalance and there is a there is a a not unhappiness i think one of the great things that people could try is to really give the spouse 15 minutes Mm -hmm. to just talk yeah and look them in the eyes while they're talking don't judge them don't react Mm -hmm. Um, don't start smiling or things that they say to you Mm-hmm. Give him a chance to just speak, yeah, and then and then after fifteen minutes, see if you can reverse it, you right? Know? And the other person talks, and gives it gets a chance to really express, because unable to do that mm-hmm. and not have the, not have the partner or the spouse, um, roll their eyes or um, mm-hmm. you know give some kind of an expression that they're really not interested in you, will create now. A feeling of wow, I can really trust this person. Right. This person allows me to say what happened to me today. Right. It gives me a chance to talk about things that are really painful for me, without judging me. And mm-hmm. I think we are afraid to be judged I by agree. the other person because then we have no defense. Right. It, 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 when you want to be open, you cannot have your defense up. Right. And so it is a lot harder for us to. To be open if we don't know for sure if we got to keep that shield up. Yeah, and um, I think that is uh, you know it is something people could try. The other thing, Donna, is um, a few weeks ago we had Dr. Gordon Newfeld on uh, talking about his book "Hold On to Your Kids," mm-hmm. and he talks very much about that vertical relationship 
uh, that you can either have with God and mm-hmm. you are God's child or the parent in this physical body has with a child. Mm-hmm. Because uh, if there is not that connection then and that attachment, then automatically the child is going to look for um, uh, that same connection with peers on mm-hmm. a horizontal level. We're talking 10 minutes ago about the vertical and horizontal relationships. When you try to get unconditional love from somebody who is at the same level as you, it's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have a friendship, but unconditional love is really only something that a parent can give to a child. Mm-hmm. And and I think that uh, w- one thing that Gordon Neufeld said, we were talking about uh, 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 programs on TV. You know, I mean, we're confused yeah. with everything that's going Wait, on TV. Sure. And he said one of the worst programs really was Friends. Mm-hmm. You know, where you just have a bunch of friends living together. There yeah. is no, there is no commitment. Uh, right. There is no trust. There is no, um, there is no uh, building of any relationship. Right. It is just that they happen to be in each other's life, and yeah. for nine years or eleven years, they've made jokes about it, yeah. and and you got all this. Yeah. Excuse me. Convenience. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there is no growing of depth. And you yeah. see indeed that in their relationships, when they actually get into mm-hmm. a relationship, they don't get anywhere. Right. And he said, and that is one of the most popular shows. That's mm-hmm. what people like to look at. It's it's mm-hmm. not a family relationship. It is like there's no parents involved. Mm-hmm. It is just friends. And if you leave, leave friends, teenagers, for example, with each other, then they are trying to impress each other. They're mm-hmm. trying to be approved by each other. They're mm-hmm. trying to find that love from each other. And you know what? By the snap of a finger, it's gone. It is. It is gone. You mm-hmm. do one thing wrong. You talk to somebody I didn't yeah. want you to talk to. I don't want to see it's you gone. anymore. Yeah. It's gone. And and I think we are so on the edge. As these kids are growing up, I'm worried that they're sitting so on the edge, afraid to build a serious relationship. Mm-hmm. Because they're afraid to be rejected, yep. and and they're afraid to 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 they're worried that they can never find that warmth and that intimacy that they're craving that they really right. need to be able to express. Absolutely, I would like to talk about that further. Okay, well, you will. I will uh, give you a chance <laughs> when I shut my yapper. No, it's we're great. gonna listen. We're great gonna listen stuff. to. Thank you. We're gonna listen to uh, to the news, folks, and uh, some commercials. And when we come back, we we'll talk more with Donna Wallace. We will be right back. So uh, you have about twenty five minutes to uh, to join us today uh, on uh, talking about intimacy. We're doing it with Donna Wallace. Um, I think inspiration is uh, is very important. And do, because yeah. it gives us strength. Yes, yes. And, yeah. I, I like to uh, differentiate between motivation and inspiration. Okay. Uh, often we, we combine those and think they're the same thing. But I think motivation is something that um, is external. It's something that we try to kind of wrap our brain around and we want to stay motivated to work out or to be healthy or to you know, whatever it is that we need to do. Mm-hmm. And it waxes and wanes. It comes and goes. Motivation does. Um, inspiration, however, um, has a deep relational component to it. Um, mm-hmm. Inspire is, um, it, it comes from um, the, the word to, to breathe into. And so I do believe that we can be inspired by one another um, horizontally, but going back to the vertical connect- connection, um, to be inspired. Uh, again, I love this this part about um, the this, this story of the Garden of Eden where um, 
God, this relational being, breathes life into the first human, Adam. Mm-hmm. Um, that that he it says he breathed into his nostrils and he he came to life. And I think in order to truly have awe for life, you can say awe, and anytime you you try to breathe out the word awe, it sounds like you're adoring like a little puppy uh-huh. or something. But the only way to truly express a, a sense of awe is to to breathe in. Um, fascinating that you, uh, if you want to be in awe of something or somebody, you have to go, mm-hmm. that's awe. You just, and I think that that's the same idea of inspiration is that we're breathing in this breath of life, um, whether it's from um, God or from another person, a beautiful aspect of intimacy. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Good. Um, that we do have that to offer to yeah. one another. Um, what do you, what can you tell us about resisting intimacy? I think for resisting intimacy, uh, there's a continuum. I think um, at the very the very end of the continuum is the the severe avoidance of intimacy that we are talking about um, that we find in addictions, relational or sexual addictions, where people have been so hurt or um, or burdened by by relationship that they are they want to avoid it at all cost. But if you come up on the continuum a bit, you'll find that there's a resistance to intimacy that we, uh, and I think this is where you do see some of the, um, a person's not an addict really of, of sexual relationships or, or, or using of relationships, but they just, they're, they just are resisting. They, they're not sure. They don't feel safe. Um, perhaps they will initiate first rather than be initiated upon because uh, there's a, a better sense of control. Uh, right. We do... Kind of, kind of setting the tone. Right, right. right. I want to be in control of this thing, uh-huh. and I, I'll set up the parameters of what this relationship will be. Um, again, I think for intimacy, there has to be uh, an innate vulnerability. And again, like uh, Dr. Bob Paul was, was saying, that we do have to have a sense, a deep sense of safety, or we can never... Um, truly be intimate. So um, with resisting intimacy, I think that um, it's, we shouldn't be troubled by it, but that we can certainly move past it. And um, I think even in many marriage relationships, we have resistance to intimacy. Um, sometimes what people think is just a boredom um, or just a wearing out of of the relationship is really that there have become resistances because there is some pain and disappointment in every um, intimate encounter. And rather than being able to sit down, like you said, and just listen very well, um, instead of getting caught up in the reaction of our upset and our anger toward one another, um, but opening our hearts together and seeing what that underlying issue is, um, we, we don't spend much time doing that. We don't listen well. I I can't remember what the percentage of time is that that couples really spend in good co- communication. It's it's pretty sad, yeah. um, and I I have heard too that with the the eye contact that um, if parents can just make more um, more o- eye contact more often and longer with their kids, the relationships really do change. There's a high correlation between eye contact and intimacy with our kids yeah, because that is connecting right, and with our with our spouses. Um, 
I would say too, it's interesting with different ones who are in counseling talk about levels of intimacy or communication. And, um, it's fascinating that, um, if, if there's five, the top level or the, the most basic level, I guess you would say is, um, kind of a talking about the weather just an exchange of information. How's the weather? It's kind of that small talk that we do often that makes me kind of makes me feel crazy because I think you had said the other day on the phone that Americans really just do stay on that small talk far too long. We don't get real with one another. So there's that one. And then there's level two where we're still exchanging information, but it has more to do with daily life. So it's, did you take out the trash and are the kids going to be dropped off at soccer and how are they going to be dropped off at soccer? Um, I would say that a majority of marriages uh, have their communication on level two. Which is astounding to me. But I mean, think about how much of your communication with your spouse has to be about the housekeeping um, and, and just pulling things together. Did then, you make dinner? Right. Did you make dinner? And Can what you is get it? my slippers? <laughs> Ooh, I'm beginning to see a problem here. <laughs> um, and then it's not until level three of, intim- uh, of communication that you really do start um, sharing something a little bit more of yourself. That I think it's level three where a spiritual connection starts to take place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's instead of just an exchange of information, you're beginning to say, I feel this about something. And you're asking another person, how do you feel about um, a particular situation and asking children. So, um, what's sad is so many families and spouses don't even, or, or even lovers don't get even down to a three. Um, a lot of sexual, um, relationships happen like on two. I mean, think about it. You you don't even get down past two into a spiritual connect. Um, and then if you get to level four, level four is different in that it's, um, you actually hurt me. No longer do I just feel about something, but you have to be a little bit more vulnerable and say, I was disappointed when, or you really made me feel amazing when, or I'm dreaming about. Um, Often spouses don't feel comfortable or safe to share anymore what their dreams are because... uh, because they've blown it or, or whatever. And then level five is one of those very special places. And I would say that's the safe. When you open the safe, you take out that very precious bit of information or that part of yourself that um, you wouldn't do more than maybe a few times in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And then the person that you're with, the, the lover can put that safely back away and never bring it up. It's that stuff that would never be brought up again because it would hurt you so, so terribly. Mm. Um, but I think what's funny is think of, I mean, I think we all know of people who will come up to us with a level five and go here. And you're like, Whoa, too much information. I really, really, in a way, that's what we do. That's what we do with a professional therapist. Right. And we do because it's, we feel like they're not going to use it against us ever again, but we don't necessarily want to, to go have dinner with them the next day. Right. Because it's a little too too naked at yes. that point. Yes. So what I do often with couples um, and with, with parents, with friends, is try to work them from a level two down to three and four. I mean, those, those should be places that we are living more of our lives at. Um, but again, I, we have levels one and two for a purpose. They're to, to kind of come in and make us feel comfortable. If, right. if I, the first time I meet you, you come into my house and, and I'm sitting on my husband's lap, kissing his neck, it doesn't feel real comfortable. 
Yeah, I remember that. It was not a good time. <laughs> it was just, yeah, it was just not a pretty thing. Um, so, so I think a lot of it is just being aware of um, these levels of intimacy, and of and trying to find one that is more comfortable. And uh, and I think sometimes we we cheat ourselves by staying up there on those those other levels. And uh, a lot of sexual exploits, I think, take place up there on yeah. those. I, there's, a, there's a little bit of text here. I want to read mm-hmm. a few things from, from the Smalley Please Institute. Yes. Uh, it says over here, you want to feel free to open up and reveal who you really are and know that the other person will still love, accept, and value you mm-hmm. no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yet many of us struggle with various aspects of intimacy because it requires openness. And openness makes us instantly vulnerable, like we talked about mm-hmm. having that shield. This is why a lack of desire to connect or an avoidance of intimacy is general, usually has more to do with attempting to avoid being hurt, humiliated, embarrassed, or just plain uncomfortable. We put up walls and try to project an image we think people want to see. Want, uh, we, we, mm-hmm. we put up walls and try to project an image we think people want so that when we, we look at us, when they look at us through the camera lens, they like what they see. Mm-hmm. And it says over here, unfortunately, these strategies usually limit the quality of the imp- intimacy in our relationships. It all makes sense what it says. Mm-hmm. It is just that in daily life, we are doing exactly that. Mm-hmm. We are, uh, uh, the, it says over here, the foundational component is a truly safe environment. One that is safe physically, intellectually, spiritually, and emotionally. And so we do everything we can to create safety when we are together for our intensives. That is the intensive training right. that they do. Right. Uh, logically, openness can be understood as the default setting for human beings. Openness, that is what we really want to be. Mm-hmm. We want to be open. No state of being takes less energy to maintain that openness, which involves being yourself and just relaxing. When people are together in a state of openness... Intimacy naturally occurs. Mm-hmm. It is the most basic sense. Intimacy is the experience of being close to another person and openly sharing something with them. This may or may not include words. It doesn't necessarily require work or effort. Mm-hmm. I think this is really well said. Uh, it says over here one more thing. The easier, the easier approach to intimacy is to focus on creating a safe environment for yourself and for your spouse. This is the approach we take, and it is astonishingly effective. Astonishingly effective. When two people feel safe, they will be naturally inclined to relax and be open. Then intimacy will simply happen. So there are really keys mm-hmm. that we're talking about today, and it's kind of, uh, you know, uh, kind of said over here in a few sentences. Um, it doesn't always have to be with a spouse. It can right. be. It could be with a friend. Right. But like you said, it is so important that somehow we find first of all ourselves, mm-hmm. and the only way to do that is to really do that is to have some kind of an inner trust in a higher being, mm-hmm. knowing that we that we came from somewhere. Yeah. And that, as you mentioned, we are already known mm-hmm. before we were born. And so we just uh, we have that already in us, and we need to find we need to find that vision, hold that vision, and know that it's safe. Yeah. To go within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Don't you think so? Uh, absolutely. And, was, and a lot of us don't think it is safe to go within ourselves. We don't even want to go there. We, we don't even want to see our own mistakes and our, even our qualities. I, I would say that uh, a component that's very important here is forgiveness. And um, we often think of that perhaps in maybe a, a more of a religious connotation. But um, forgiveness really is the key to setting ourselves free. Um, and, and it really is about setting ourselves free, whether or not it involves another person. And um, just because we are humans, there will be disappointments. And um, and so I often laugh um, when I come into a relationship. I would come, if I were to strike up a relationship with you, I would say, Jacobus, I'm going to ask you right now to forgive me. And you'd say, that's kind of silly. And, I'm, and I would say, no, I really, I need to ask you to forgive me right now because I know that, that I will disappoint you down the road. Uh-huh. I will. Uh-huh. Not because I mean to. I, I absolutely don't want to. But I'm in this honeymoon state right now with you, even as a new friend. And um, and I can't anticipate that you would ever disappoint me or that I might disappoint you. But I can guarantee it's going to happen. Mm. So I'm going to say right now that if you want to be friends with me, I need, I do need you to forgive me. Because there will be a time when that happens. Uh-huh. And And what that does is it sets up a very realistic expectation we talked about expectations just a little bit earlier Mm -hmm. that um that i can't i i really won't be able to fulfill everything and even if i'm doing my very very best as a a human i can't give you the unconditional love that you need and that really does lead us back to the horizontal and the vertical yeah in that uh, i i love what the the doctor you spoke with said um earlier i find that um I'm so thankful that I do have this parent figure in the image of God that I that I do hold to because I have um, loving parents, but parents that have disappointed me. And I think perhaps all of us do. And uh, there is no um, m- more intimate of a connection than a parent to a child, like, like you said. And I think that really our job as parents is perhaps to show the image of, of God to our kids, that we're, we're the, the physical, um, symbol of what, who God can be to them. Um, but because I had a a dad who was not present in the home, um, I was able to rely so much more in who God is. And, um, I can then forgive the disappointments that my father, um, gave to me because because I didn't need to turn to him so much. I can now turn to to God to 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 hold me and to keep me safe and to give me those things that my father was not able to do is, as a it, human. They often say, you know, kind of a cliche, but a man is marrying somebody who resembles his mother mm-hmm. and a woman is marrying somebody who resembles her dad. Mm-hmm. Um is this kind of the safe the safe room you can go into in order to make that ultimate connection to go within your own spiritual uh, connection, so. so that if there is a if there is a uh, disappointment in the relationship, that you can still find yourself back and start yeah. working to heal what is not working right. out, to try to heal it from that from that point of view. Yes, yes. In fact, uh, like for myself, I married a person who is very giving and caring you might say that I married a father figure because I needed that okay. at that point. Yes. But there came a point where I no longer wanted to be married to a father. I, I wanted 
a husband. I wanted a friend. Yes. And so there's just this kicking and fighting that uh-huh. happened um, because I didn't want him to be that anymore. And, and there was some confusion and, and, and some pain in what, what does this mean for us? Um, but when I was able to say, no, I, I have that father image in my life here over here in God. And that frees you up really to not have to do all those things for me anymore. He was able to find great freedom there. So I think that that's a that's really a, a nice thing, and I tell my kids that as their mom, I my job is really is to nurture and care for them. That's 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 what I'm here for. Yeah. But I will disappoint them, and I need their forgiveness too. Mm-hmm. But even out when I let them down, their parent God will care for them, mm-hmm. and that uh, it's not a cop out, but that they know that if they get slighted or cheated by me, their human mother, that they don't have to be so damaged. They can go and be whole and healthy um, in themselves. I think that's uh, an empowering type of situation for them. I think that this was another um, aspect about intimacy that was very freeing. Um, We do bring such expectation to one person, whether it be our best friend. Just the other day, my daughter said, Mom, what is a best friend exactly? I have a teenage daughter. And I said, you know, that's that's a really good question because I think all of us kind of wonder about mm-hmm. that. And and is it one friend? Can it be a lot of friends? Um, if you're married, does that mean like that's supposed to be your your one and only best friend? And what if I'm then drawn to five other people? That's kind of freaking me out because I yeah. love to be with these five others, whether it's men or women. Yeah. They really give me something. Yeah. And that did bother me because I felt I came into marriage feeling like my spouse should kind of be it for me, this yeah. best friend situation. Yeah. And um, how freeing it was for uh, my mentor, Professor Dr. Phil Robinette, to teach me about the different types of intimacies where he said there's there's uh, creative intimacy, there's financial, there's sexual, there's aesthetic. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I have a literary um, intimacy that I in, can enjoy with many different people. And some of those things my husband t- meets for me, some of those my children meet for me, some my, my family um, and, and for friends. I have a very deep, intimate relationship with the people that I write books with. I'm writing with a woman for the first time ever. I've always oh. written with men. Oh. There's a very deep, intimate uh, relationship that happens there, that creatively happens, that we, when we come together in synergy, there's just this beautiful thing that takes place. And I, I liken it to being a surrogate mother that I carry their child and, and then give it back to them. But it carries traits of both of us after it's done. Um, Is it always nice? I mean, your relationship mine with, have, with people you write with? Because it could nice. be it could be intense, right? I it's mean, very intense. Sometimes it's painful. Um, okay. When we're coming to a close of a book, often I, I find myself shutting down, kind of kicking. I go through that kind of cranky birthing time. <laughs> That huh. you would, uh, I think, in a pregnancy. Why is I that? think there's because, very similar because you feel it's ending. Yeah. Okay. That that our relationship is still contractual. That yes. I've been very intimate with this person, have shared some of their deepest moments of life, have really skimmed the cream of their life, and put all my care into bringing their message, their passion to the page, and now they will leave me. It's a very, it's it's a an interesting, difficult um, relationship. Although I've remained very dear friends with all of the authors that I've written with, huh. um, and it's hard, you know, for my husband. He has had to share me with these people, yeah. um, and because we understand the different types of intimacies, I think it makes it possible. 
that I can share this aspect with these people, but he still holds these other intimacies that no one else gets. Those are solely his and they're sacred to the covenant of our marriage Mm. um, so that I have the freedoms to move. Mm -hmm. Caller, good morning. Your name and how can we help you? Uh, good morning. Just gave a call to Jacobus uh, yes. in order to ask a question. You question bet. regarding uh, intimacy and passion. What is the difference uh, between passion and intimacy for living a full life? Ooh, that's from a good living one. living a full life, yeah. I love that. I think you need to have both. Um, intimacy is that, that deep connect that we have with another person. I think passion is the fire in our belly. The pa- where does that come from? Where does that come from? I think that we're, again, it's our design. It's our design to, to live fully, not on that uh, stuck-on survival mode, but to be fully alive. I think passion um, scares a lot of people. Passion is kind of the tools that we use to, uh, to express intimacy? Could I would it be? I'd say it's the fuel. Fuel, okay. It's the, f- it's the fire. It's what, um, what keeps what keeps us alive. It's what brings us again and again to intimacy. Um, we can have passions for many different things. I think that, uh, if it's, if it's not reined in, it could wreak havoc on our life. But I think that often we're far too concerned in reining it, reining it in than setting it free. Hmm. But how about having a source of fuel, a, f- a source of passion, if that is not, uh, something that one seems as though they possess? And how to to acquire passion if you don't yeah. feel that you have it? Or? Yeah, that would be, I guess, the appropriate question. I think that uh, in the words of Dr. Bob Paul, I would say that you need to be in a place where you feel safe to express your passion. I think that it, it may be there even if you don't feel it. I, uh, often in um, children, as children growing up, we're, ex- we're taught not to, not to be too passionate, not to express ourselves too fully. Clearly. Um, and... And the, the, the beauty of being an adult is being able to go back to those places and saying, uh, you know what, this is mine, and I, I do want to rediscover that. Find a person who can nurture that in you and uh, make it safe enough for you to um, express your passion. Well, thank you, caller, for the call. Thank I'm you. I'm sorry we're at, at the end of the program. I wish you all the best, and call us again. Thank you so much. All right, bye-bye. bye-bye. Well, Donna, thank you so much. It's Thanks. been uh, been very interesting. And I, I look at the list of things that we still need to talk about. We can yeah. do this again. And when your book comes out, which is called uh, The DNA of Relationships for Couple, yes. Couples, we probably have you back on and talk about it more because then the book is totally available. We'd love it. Thanks for being here and thank all the best you. to you. All right. Folks, we'll talk to you next week from 7 to 10 for another edition of Gesundheit with Jacobus.